welcome to the DevCom Games Industry Podcast with your host, Lars Janssen. Welcome to this episode of our DevCom Podcast, bringing you the DevCom experience year-round. Today, I have the honor to welcome two guests from CodeCoven, their CEO, Tara Mustafa, as well as Head of Business Development, Carla Reyes. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's such a pleasure to have you both here. Thank you for having us. <laughs> Thank you. Excited to be here. So before we get into what Code Coven is and what you do, of course, I'm always interested, uh, and our, our audience as well, to learn a bit about uh, the people that we have on the show. So uh, Tara, why don't you start uh, talking a bit about your journey into you know, the, the industry and how you got to Code Coven, and then we lead it over to uh, Carla afterwards. For sure, yeah. So hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Tara Mustafa, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm the CEO and founder of Code Coven, which is the first global games industry accelerator and bootcamp for underrepresented talent. And uh, my journey started about 16 years ago. So I've been a game developer and designer uh, for over 16 years, as I said, on franchises such as Death Junior, Monster Lab and Skate. Um, and I started very much in scripting and level design and uh, have recently yeah, stepped away from development to address the diversity and balance in the industry by designing new pipelines and try to be, uh, bring equity to the industry. So that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> How about you, Carla? Thanks, Tara. I'm Carla Reyes. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm the head of business development at Code Coven. I actually had the privilege of participating in Code Coven's first ever Unity uh, pilot development bootcamp. And I was just so um, struck by the mission and vision of, of Tara and, and the Code Coven team that I wanted to support afterwards. But um, my background is in product management, and I've been a product manager in the industry for a couple of years now. So more nascent than, than Tara's, but learning under her, her mentorship. <laughs> I like product management, by the way. It's how I got started in the industry. So uh, I have a lot of respect for what you do, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so um, thanks for the introduction, you two. Um, I would like to learn a bit more about what Code Coven does. I mean, obviously, we've, we've talked a bit about it before, but uh, maybe you can give us uh, like the brief overview, um, what you do, how you got to create uh, you know, this, this global games industry accelerator uh, for underrepresented talent uh, that you were talking about, uh, Tara. And what's, what's kind of your DNA um, uh, for that? What's, what are your main goals? Uh, I'm just curious uh, to learn a bit about what you do. <laughs> well, our goals are to simply um, just bring diversity and equality and equity to the games industry. So really easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, no, this is the, the, the challenge that we um, we're trying to address is that uh, the, you know, the, the large population of developers out there um, are rep that represent developers are largely white uh, cis men and uh, the, the large population of gamers out there are diverse uh, people from all sorts of backgrounds. And what we want to do is just make uh, the opportunities for having a really wonderful career in a fantastic industry that is the games industry possible for people of all walks of life. Um, and it started with a very personal journey, of course, with myself in, in game development and observing sort of the inequalities that have happened and trying to problem solve that and by that, we started offering boot camps, as Carla mentioned, uh, to upskill uh, people in the industry who uh, uh, identify as marginalized genders. 
um, and then offering a series of remote online courses for people who want to just get into the industry and have a passion for games but don't know quite how to get in. And then through our bootcamp and accelerators, we offer two different programs, which one focuses on those who are a little more advanced in their game development careers in terms of having just finished university and having some experience, giving them portfolio opportunities to develop their portfolios and work with uh, industry experts over the course of 12 weeks, such as the summer program, um, to develop their network and career goals. And then the more advanced accelerator programs, which look at helping bridge the gap to funding for game studios that are already established and looking for uh, the opportunities to seek additional investment um, and all focused on uh, people who identify as underrepresented and marginalized in order to bring um, equality uh, to the industry. So when we talk about diversity and equality, um, I think you probably mostly focus on on gender and underrepresented genders. But uh, are there other levels or other other aspects of diversity that you're trying to to cover and and tackle somehow with Code Coven? Yeah, I can jump in here. Absolutely. I think primarily Code Coven was founded, um, you know, as Tara mentioned, through out of her own personal journey as a woman. Um, and as a woman of color, so we we obviously do want to support other marginalized groups throughout. the The focus has been to create a safe space for people of marginalized genders because that was a demographic group that we saw um, was quite uh, you know increasing within the industry, but still needed to be addressed. And so, just to add to what Tara mentioned earlier, I think what we're trying to do is really increase representation at all levels within the industry. Um, and we talk about it like both off and on screen. So um, as Tara mentioned, because the population, global population of gamers is very diverse and not just from a gender perspective, but also from a sexual orientation perspective, from a racial and ethnic perspective, there are, there are so many um, different types of people that play games. So we want to be able to ensure that the demographics of the people creating those games are representative of that and that the content that's being displayed is um, you know catering to those audiences and so last year just as an example we launched a scholarship fund for BIPOC students so uh, there are a few different acronyms uh, that are used um, to um, uh, yeah to identify different um, racial and ethnic groups so BIPOC stands for black um, indigenous and people of color and that's traditionally used in North America um, but this was out of the you know, amidst the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement last year. And when we launched that, uh, we actually received over 250 applications from over 25 countries um, in only three days. So it really highlighted the need for this opportunity. Like there were so many people that wanted to learn um, how to develop games. This was actually for our introduction to game making course. So it was accessible to anybody that um, didn't have any prior game development experience. Um, so again, just thinking about those different groups as when we think of diversity, I think it's it's not just about gender, but um, there's also you know ability and religion and nationality, geography. There, there are so many factors that that come into play, and I, I think we've seen um, a lot of that within our community. 
Right. And Tara, you mentioned that um, you know, to some extent this was also built based on your own experience, uh, your own journey um, uh, over, the, over the past couple of years. So f from your point of view, uh, I mean, both, both your point of views, uh, so what are the main challenges that um, you know, marginalized developers usually face entering this industry? I mean, I, I probably represent one of the, uh, you know, the dominant <laughs> cis male <laughs> type um, people in, in the industry. And I, my, my apologies, you know, this is, uh, is sometimes uh, challenging obviously for me but i think that the, we are the important um component of changing this of, of you know get, going forward i think we need to speak up um quite a bit and, and act and and support initiatives like yours so what are the things that you faced um what, what can you talk about in, in terms of like the, the 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 obstacles that people need to overcome usually to become um, part of uh, the game development community from your point of view and and tell their stories <laughs> no, I appreciate you saying that. Thank you for acknowledging um, that. And, you know, to your point right there, allyship from people who are like you mm. is absolutely critical to um, to bringing about change, um, you know, because that is that sort of paradigm of being the gatekeepers, if you will. You know, so if more people are opening the gates, then we'll see more um, um, diversity and the 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 challenges that i've i've seen don't even happen necessarily at that entry level there's uh, wonderful initiatives right now that are bringing visibility that are getting people in the door um, but one of the stats that sort of strikes fear in my heart um, is how many people in leadership roles or senior management roles that are, are identified as people who are marginalized and one thing that um, i was tooling around with and uh, this idea that I was discussing with some um, ex-colleagues of mine was looking at very much from my lens, as Carla said, as I'm a woman of color, how many women do I know who achieved roles of senior management or leadership positions that were promoted internally versus how many had to go and start their own studio mm. or initiative um you know in order to be able to re-enter sort of the more corporate traditional structures uh, to prove that they could do the jobs and be given those opportunities and i know very few people maybe two out of the hundreds of people that i know who have been promoted that were given those opportunities and there is no reason why other than from what i can tell and from you know these studies that have happened the unconscious and invisible bias that have been ingrained in the systems um, that our society has built um, itself on um, so for that you know you look at okay well if people aren't given the pathway aren't shown that there is a career longevity for them why would they stay in this industry if marginalized people, underrepresented people are getting paid less, why would they stay in this industry, you know, than their, their white cis male counterparts? Um, you know, if primarily in a very stereotypical way, women are given the role as primary caregivers um, for, you know, reasons is that they have to, uh, you know, people who, who menstruate, who are able to carry, who are able to uh, have to take that physical time away from work. Um, to be able to fulfill this, you know, bodily function <laughs> for those people who want to adopt and become caregivers like that, they tend to those roles and responsibilities fall on people who identify as female, stereotypically. 
And if you're in a crunch culture in an industry, you don't have the, the, the ability to do that, to sustain that work-life balance or lack of life balance, should we say. So why would you want to stay in games? Um, and so observing all of those different aspects, you know, really sort of inspired this journey with Code Coven because we can undo and change all of their systems, you know, um, and it's, a, it's, it's, it's an exciting thing to try and change. Do you see differences between different regions, uh, different games markets? I mean, I don't know which uh, territories, which countries or, or um, you know, companies you mostly work with. Um, but I was curious if there's uh, any things you observed in terms of you know, Europe being different from, I don't know, the North America or uh, other regions of the world. Um, I, I, so I've, uh, I, I live in the UK now. I've born and bred UK, but I've also um, worked in Montreal, Vancouver, New York. So uh, unfortunately, my experience is only limited to North America and the UK. Um, And, you know, from one thing that I can observe is that the pay gap um, for anybody between uh, the, the West Coast of America versus what we get paid in the UK is massive. Yeah. Um, but then you look at the resources of social systems, such as the NHS versus privatization of healthcare in the US, you know, are all things that we have to consider. And then, you know, we then again look at the work-life balance that happened to a lot of my friends who emigrated from Canada to go work at uh, Swedish companies who all complain about the taxes, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but they always seem to be on vacation every weekend. So <laughs> I don't know if they should be complaining. <laughs> Um, but yeah, there's interesting uh, systems that are built in place um, that uh, that al allow for more diversity um, at all levels uh, on a global basis. But again, my lens is very, very narrow when it comes to looking at no, that. Fair enough. I was just curious because uh, looking at uh, many studios that I work with in the United States, I, I see a bit of a difference personally compared to uh, some studios in uh, in Europe, especially Central Europe. I mean, you mentioned um, the social security systems, uh, talking about Sweden or talking about other countries in Europe. I mean, we usually tend to be um, more giving, if you will, uh, and, and allow for more of a balance um, than I sometimes see uh, in the United States, for example. Uh, so that's why I was trying to confirm my, my bias maybe there. Just to add to that, um, one of the exciting things about being part of a remote accelerator is that it can be globalized. And we've been fortunate to work with developers um, across uh, over 15 countries now, especially with the IGDA Foundation Diverse Game Developers Fund, we've seen some more geographic representation um, about that. So that accelerator is specifically exploring alternative um, monetization models and developing uh, web-based games. And that's actually um, an interesting way for developers who are in Uh, countries that might not have traditional financial infrastructures to be able to actually monetize their games that they publish on web. Um, and that's been a really great way uh, to just foster those more global communities and um, enable these developers to connect um, with a community that, that is more global if, if they're not able to attend the GDC and afford to attend you know, GDC or even DevCom in person, then this has been a great avenue for um, a lot of people who represent more remote geographies to um, to get on the same playing field. 
Yeah, I agree. That it makes a lot of sense. And by the way, d uh, this year DEFCOM is unfortunately, if you will, it's not happening in Cologne. So it, it uh, the positive side is it makes it easier for people from all around the globe to to join in and uh, hopefully attend some good talks. Sorry for uh, you know the little uh, commercial in between, but <laughs> sometimes I, I got to do this. Um, it was interesting, Carla, what you said about um, uh, you know different territories. Personally, my background is also in, in free to play and and web games, web and mobile games, and I've worked with a lot of um, people in. Uh, North Africa and uh, the um, you know uh, Arabic-speaking countries, and uh, this is it was very um, eye-opening, I would say, to um, to partner up with uh, people that manage the communities there and so on. And, and uh, I saw how much passion there is, and oftentimes it's the access to uh, game development communities that was lacking. A lot, a lot of talented people there that did not have the chance to actually play a role on a, on a global scale, if you will. So I think this this really ties in uh, very well to what you were just saying, and and the opportunities that you give to people um, from, from those regions as well. Just to add on to your point there, I think it's um, one of the things that I've become aware of in terms of privilege, because we've had the luck of being able to work and be in connection with several studios, for example, in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. um, and I was recently talking to, to a studio um, in India, and I made off-the-cuff remarks on uh, Twitter and TikTok about or uh, about using those platforms to be able to engage your community and the things that I took for granted was that in Nigeria they've shut down Twitter yep. and I'm just like well if you're building your community and you're in games that's usually like one of the the outlets that we use as, uh, for that engagement and that access is completely gone and it's a privilege that you know I, I'm now very much aware of um, and the same thing for, for TikTok in India and um, I find it uh yeah, absolutely interesting that we as games industry can be able to connect these communities through other outlets um, to be able to help each other and get visibility on these these platforms, these games, this talent that needs to be um, given that platform to be able to let their, their, their games shine. Absolutely. So, so let's talk a bit more about um, the structure of Code Coven. You already mentioned the programs that you offer, and how do people get into that pro uh, those programs, uh, and what do you actually do from a practical point of view to support them? Um, how does the, the typical journey of somebody who joins uh, your programs look like um, from like the, the early beginning? And do you then? I assume you accompany them, on, you know, on their journey for quite a while. Uh, maybe you can talk a bit more about um, what you do, how that works. Yeah, um, Tara, sorry, I can't see you right now, but um, we have what our operating model is, we, is a tribute to Zelda, actually, we call it the Triforce, um, which is the academy, the accelerator, and what we're calling the teaching studio. So through the academy, that's where we offer the online courses, like the introduction to game making that I mentioned earlier. And that's really the entry point for somebody who might not have any prior game development experience. And we've seen students who've gone through this intro to game making course actually graduate and then um, move into the accelerator programs that we offer. So the accelerator programs, one being like the summer program that Tara mentioned, which is more for um, recent graduates or students or developers that are earlier in their career. Uh, and then other accelerator models like Elevate, which was, um, you know, the GDC Relief Fund Accelerator that we ran last year, which is for slightly more established studios. And it's been really fascinating to watch um, our graduates actually, you know, one of our graduates teams from the summer program actually entered Elevate because they were able to develop and progress their game through that. Um, 
and and then we've seen alumni go on to self-publish their games or actually enter deals with publishers. So we've really seen them go from concept to completion and through um, to really thriving as a studio. In terms of the uh, the actual programming of the different events, so we bring in mentors for the accelerator programs and guest speakers throughout all of the um, courses and accelerator programs, and we try to tailor that that content to the individuals and the teams that are in all of the cohorts. Um, so there might be some specialist topics, even really niche technical subjects. We we are fortunate to have a, met, a mentor network of over 200 mentors at this point um, that are you know that are coming from studios ranging from indie to AAA. We have publishers represented, developers, investor investment funds represented. So it's really a nice um, way to get visibility into the ecosystem um, and, and get the support from from everybody that's involved in there as well. Uh, it's great to hear. How do you build this uh, network um, further? I mean, you know, the games industry is is changing course every couple of years. There's there's new developments, there's new trends. A lot of things are constantly in motion. And I can imagine that, uh, you know, you need to grow uh, as well or need to adapt to those changes in order to provide the best, uh, you know, or, or reduce the barriers to, to entry as much as you can um, along the way. So um, how do you observe the market? market and the industry and, and uh, other, other changes that you have already done to the program compared uh, with how you started uh, in the beginning? And if so, w which were those? And do you see any, something like this coming up going forward? Mm -hmm. um, how do we do it? <laughs> Through a lot of um, a love, dedication and uh, <laughs> kind allyship from uh, folks like yourselves. Um, no, I think um, one of the beautiful things about uh, that I, I think about when I think about how we started Code Coven was uh, the team are in pretty much entirely all people who are still active in the games industry in their roles, which, um, you know, and, and because we're a private institution, we don't have to stick to the sort of rubric that traditional education models have to. And because we're absolutely tailored to the individuals who are coming into our programs, no two programs are exactly the same. So if we partner um, sort of our development experience in working in agile games, mixed with education, all of our expertise, we're able to constantly and quickly adapt the content of our programs to be able to fit the needs of the cohort, but also the needs of the industry. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's um, it's a bit of a fine balance and it takes, you know, a lot of work in terms of engaging individually with each person who comes through our doors and saying, you know, what do you think you're good at? What do you want to be better at? What can we help you achieve? And going to equally the mentors and our partners and our sponsors and saying, what is missing from your studios? What do you want to get better at as a, as a mentor, as a leader? How do you want to develop your skills? Um, and matching those things together to be able to continue this growth. And, you know, as we scale, as we adapt, you know, we want to be able to fix all of these problems at every single uh, part of a career journey in the industry. So we want to be able to then offer masterclasses and then, then develop this, the, the courses that are really needed to be able to sustain this change. Um, 
but yeah. Yeah, just to add to that, I think in a rapidly evolving industry that is already so vast and nuanced in itself, it's, you know, you constantly have to remain on the pulse. And um, we are fortunate to have, as I mentioned earlier, like representatives from um, all walks of life and all different um, aspects of the industry. And that's definitely helped feed into the curricula. Um, and in terms of how we've adapted, you know, as Har and I have both mentioned, we've really tried to tailor a lot of the content to everyone that's involved. Um, how we can scale that is still, you know, <laughs> to be determined. Uh, and I think that's actually, well, one of the, um, I think one of the value propositions that Code Coven has is that we do maintain the class sizes um, still intimate so that everybody can still get to know each other and it's still organic. And, you know, you see these boot camp models that are just churning out cohort after cohort. And that's not necessarily something that we want to do because we want to make sure that, you know, everybody knows each other on a first name basis and that we're able to connect um, and cultivate the relationships rather than it being more transactional. And so, you know, we're still exploring different ways and like everything in game dev, it's iterative. So we just continue to, to iterate on what we learn. That's a good thing about games, right? <laughs> we, we're used to this. <laughs> exactly. So how do you, or do you have to select people? Do you have to make a choice sometimes or uh, does everybody pretty much at some point get a chance to, to get into the program? There's silence because I want Carla to take that. Um, oh, apologies, sorry. No, 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 it's okay. <laughs> I can't see you, apologies. Um, no, yeah, uh, so, so as, as Carla said, with our academy, uh, we do offer the scholarships and the, the um, actually, sorry, let me start that one again. With the academy, we offer scholarships uh, for places within the, the, the classes and our class sizes are limited to a size of 13 because we really want to mm -hmm. lean into the idea of a coven, <laughs> yeah. um, a, a technology practicing one. Um, but for those classes, we also offer paid seats, which people can purchase. Um, everybody, though, who comes into our courses goes through um, a mini chat, uh, an interview, if you will, but we don't like to formalize that like that. Um, you know, uh, to be able to get a feel for how this cohort will work together, because that's another thing that we want to take into consideration. Everybody has to be aligned with these values of, of bringing change um, and being respectful and mindful to all the participants. Um, but, uh, you know, as Carla mentioned also earlier, we've had over hundreds of applications for our scholarship places for that, hundreds of applications for our accelerator programs. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, we've had to, to say no, um, but we do encourage everybody to keep on applying, <laughs> sadly. Well, I guess it's, it, it just comes with, you know, the, your vision that you have to somehow, you know, have those conversations up front and uh, to some extent have to filter, I guess. We, I mean, I, I can imagine your possibilities are also not uh, unlimited. So you, you somehow have to make a choice who you can support and, and so on. And I, and I guess one of the challenges, if I uh, would look at it from the outside, is that you also need to be sure that you can establish and maintain that safe space that you want to provide for, for people that join the program, right? That is absolutely critical to us is, um, you know, keeping a place where people feel like they can openly communicate, um, but again, they are kept safe uh, and respectful. And that's one of the reasons why we have a code of conduct. Um, and that code of conduct is the same whether you are um, a, men a mentor, a mentee, a student, a participant, a guest lecturer. Um, and it's something that you have to, you know, we, we go through a process of you having to initial 
each bullet point within that and signing by a, you know, our a platform like DocuSign or whatever it is yeah. um, to really make it official and drive home the idea that this is a safe space um, and this is a place of respect. And it's open for discussion. It's open for listening and education and um, opportunities for everybody to grow and get better uh, at understanding this world and changing the, the, the environment, um, the landscape of games, if you will. Um, and the, what we found is that our community, you know, once once we have people who become alumni and complete our programs or mentors who finish program, a, a large portion of them come back. Um, and whether that's to mentor again or to come back for guest lectures or to hire somebody who, uh, you know, was in our programs. Um, and the alumni, for, for them to go on and start their careers and get places uh, within the industry and for them to come back and mentor um, or hire people for their own indie studios from within our network is just a testament to that kind of ripple effect that will continue to, to grow and scale as we keep these doors open. Yeah, so I've I've seen on your website that you uh, already are working with you know a couple of sponsors, some of them like larger names in the industry as well. So um, how how does that how's that looking like right now? I mean, do you do you see that there is a change happening already? Are there more companies interested in partnering up with you and in hiring people that uh, come out of your different programs um, because they see you know the the um, the effect it has, um, uh, or is it, or you still have to fight hard in order to get in touch with with people yeah so it's been a really interesting and opportune and challenging time especially <laughs> as we've scaled code coven um, over the last year and a half particularly because of the pandemic right and as i mentioned right. earlier with the resurgence of social justice movements there's been all of this interest in suddenly supporting diversity and inclusion and you know this is something that code coven was doing prior to that of course and um people were maybe a bit slower on the uptake but um as soon as 2020 hit and um, you know the, the BLM movement um, arose, then there were more sponsors that started to approach us after we had been, you know, starting to, uh, we had, you know, hustled to try and get the support that we could. And it's now an interesting time because it, we're still uncertain, you know, in terms of a temperature check of of the different sponsors, whether there's any complacency. Like, thankfully, we do have a lot of sponsors that want to support and really be on this journey with us for the long term um but there definitely are um you know some other partners that might have just been interested uh for that specific time last year um and so we're yeah we're still trying to feel out how how things are going but thankfully we do have as i said like so so many um hundreds of mentors at this point who, uh, and who are still trying to advocate for us like across the industry Uh, it's great to hear, and I think you, it's what you need in order to, you know, create an even bigger impact uh, in in the industry. Uh, are you partnering up with other organizations as well that um, might have, uh, you know, similar goals uh, like you do, but maybe in a different area? I'm thinking about, I don't know, organizations like uh, Safe in Our World, where it's about mental health, or, or you know, similar organizations that um, that could actually be uh, valuable to to what you do. Yeah, um, we've. Um You know, we, we, we've we've we're lucky to have banded together in terms of maybe informal connections with great initiatives like Safe in Our World, um, which our community manager Lauren Moses does a lot of uh, participation and has been able to 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 plug into um, their mental health advocacy and awareness um, 
and champion that on behalf of also Code Coven. Um, there's uh, POC in play, POC in play. Um, but uh, who else am I thinking of? Limit Break have their wonderful mentorship program here in the UK. Um, and then, of course, just working with other studio advocates um, to be able to bring awareness and change. And one of the things that I think is um, particularly wonderful is that uh, I think for, a, and I'm going to put words in the mouths of all of these different organizations, is we're all aware that there are a limited amount of funds to go around. Um, but we're all aware of the significance of change that can happen if we work together um, as a group rather than these individual siloed organizations. Um, so being able to have uh, the assistance of uh, championing each other's causes is the one thing that I've seen, I think I've seen in the last sort of 16, 20 years of my career of this galvanizing movement, uh, which is going to bring around great change. So yeah, we're incredibly grateful to, to these other initiatives and partners uh, that have been so wonderfully helpful in championing us. And, you know, we continue to try and help them as well. Um, in, in covering all of these different aspects of the game development journey and these levels of intersectionality, um, you know, again, out making games. Uh, I, there are so many. I know, I know I'm missing I know. a lot. <laughs> no, we, can, we can't name them all. I was just Can curious like, if, if, you, if you do those, uh, if you yeah. have those partnerships. And speaking of change and, and the different journeys, I... I can imagine it must make you very happy to see the results um, of you know of the programs to see people actually succeeding in the industry, building their own games, create writing their own stories. So, are there any stories that you remember in particular? Uh, any things that inspired you that kind of confirmed that you're on the right path in, in making this possible? I'm, I'm just curious. I, I, I there must be something that uh, you know you saw as like, wow, this is the reason why we started this in the first place. Have we got a few hours? Yeah. <laughs> oh, we, we, have, we have as much time as you want. No, I mean, uh, we got to stop at some point. But, I'm, you know, I, I, I think it would be good for also for our audience uh, to to uh, have something to connect with to, to understand why this matters so much. So if you uh, don't mind sharing, you know, one or two of your highlights, that would be great. <laughs> okay, well, I'll start, and then Carla, you 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 bring up the ones that. What if you take you mine? Well. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> um, yeah, no. Uh, to be to be honest, um, you know there are so many, and I would hate for that any of them to feel like we didn't love them as much as because we do. Um, <laughs> but for me personally, one of the ones that most recently resonated with me was um, one of the uh, IG Intro to Game Making students created a game called Biological Clock. And it was a game about being an older woman. And I say older, and I'm doing air quotes uh, for those who can't clearly see me because this is a podcast um, <laughs> um but uh, you know a woman uh who's in her mid-30s late 30s and discussing it was a i think a, a game where you, you the goal was to try and in a way get pregnant um and you know go through and it discussed topics like ivf treatment fertility treatment um and all of these things that you know you as a, a, a person who menstruates experiences or could possibly experience and i had never seen a game like that before and talking about sort of fundamentals of resource management applied to women's bodies <laughs> you know like we are an rts um uh and i thought that was really really amazing and uh that participant hannah 
has her own game development studio called Story Juice, and she's also gone on to uh, work with and bring on people from uh, the Intro to Game Making cohort to work with her. And I think that's just a, one example of how diverse stories and representation um, really powerful to come out of uh, out of this program. Um, Carla, I know you have a couple. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, it's. There are so many, as as Tara mentioned. I think one um, that's worth mentioning is definitely uh, a game called Detours that was created by Mismatched Games, who are a team that were in our summer accelerator program last year and we've actually hired um, you know the producer from that uh that team uh, Kinsey Erickson who's been an amazing producer for Code Coven um but they were actually featured in, in gaming magazine and, and self-published their game because uh they were actually uh a team um whose majority uh had were all all identified as LGBTQIA plus and they, the the story of their game was really about navigating what it is to be in a queer relationship. And I think just to be able to tackle those sensitive um, and deep topics, uh, especially when you're at a younger age too, is is really impressive. Um, and we've seen other stories too that that tackle these um, sort of more profound concepts, like uh, one developer, Caroline Clark, um, whose studio is uh, called Scribblescape. Um, games called Cracks, and uh, that is also exploring the the, the struggles of, of being in a relationship. And it's, it's a side-scrolling platformer um, following a couple, but there are some really interesting mechanics there that, uh, again, I think these these are stories that um, can can really only be uh, cultivated when you have the the guidance and, and safety of, of that community and support that, that, that Code Coven has provided. So it's been really special to, to watch uh, these developers uh, flourish. No, it's it's amazing to hear, and I can uh, imagine there's there's many more of those stories of games that were brought to light that otherwise you know wouldn't have been out there um, because people simply didn't get the opportunity to to do them. Uh, I'm curious as a follow up um, uh, to this, you mentioned that you work with mentors and some of them being investors and so on. So, do you also sometimes get people that create those uh, titles that might be extremely important to the game development community, but might not necessarily be uh, all commercial? commercially, um, uh, you know, viable or, you know, targeted uh, at a, a certain, you know, audience um, or a, a broad audience, do you sometimes get people to uh, then connect with, uh, you know, investors or publishers for their next titles? And, and how does how does that part look like? Uh, are you, uh, you know, also able to facilitate the foundation of new studios and uh, and build like long-term uh, teams that, or help build long-term teams that then uh, become an integral part of our game development community. Yeah, uh, sorry, Dara, I'm not sure if you wanted me to chime in here. I was just going to say that we've um, been able to see some success stories already. So for example, one studio that participated in the Elevate program last year is actually publishing um, their their game this year across all platforms. So they've been able to negotiate a deal with a publisher and uh, will be publishing their game on um, Xbox, PS5, Steam, Switch. Uh, and it's been, yeah, it's been really amazing to see that. And they've, I think they've, um, they've also had some support from our mentors along the way. We've, we've seen that in connecting our program participants with mentors, they've continued that mentorship journey even after the program, which has been really helpful. And so that's led to students being hired, for example, by sponsor studios. And uh, again, like going back to how we're trying to tackle 
this diversity gap from all angles. It's not necessarily just um, entrepreneurs founding their own studios, although that definitely is one of the core groups that we are trying to support. It's also the you know um, facilitating that recruitment pipeline and connecting the students um, to sponsor studios and the mentor network to be able to get to, to actually enter the industry as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just to, to add on to that, I think, um, you know, the beautiful thing about games and the accessibility in tools of able that allow us to make games means that we can get very personal small games um, that come out. And as part of that, uh, just in the last uh, year, we've uh, had some workshops around uh, what it is to create a personal game and put that out there in the world for people to consume, um, you know, and and games as art, you know, and that experience. And, you know, we, we understand that these aren't always the most commercially viable games. And that's a really difficult conversation to have when you're out there looking for funding and publishing deals, because they're games that you do want people to engage with and enjoy and feel. Right. But they aren't going to necessarily bring those those revenue uh, uh, models, uh, you know, that that people are looking for. So the one th- the great thing is that within our network, we know that there are people and investors that are out there who are looking for be, uh, opportunities to invest in these kind of games. Um, and so we are able to personally like connect them because we love them. We love we love our mentors. We love our investors. We love our our participants. Um, and you know, while acknowledging that there is this sort of bridge to be built, um, you know, we're we're uh, keeping that in mind, and uh, hopefully should have some announcing uh, exciting things to announce uh, come 2022. Is is 2022 the next year? Yeah. I guess <laughs> what year so. are we in? <laughs> Ho- hopefully a year with uh, a little less pandemic and a little more fun and, you know, meeting people, but <laughs> we'll, we'll see. So if you, speaking of 2022 and beyond, um, if you look into the future and uh, since we're talking about change and that we all want it in the industry and uh, we're not happy with the status quo that we, that we have been, you know, living with for, for many, many years, what do you think needs to happen in order to, you know, improve the situation in general. Obviously, initiatives like like yours are very important and integral to to making this happen. And change is always a process, and it doesn't happen from one day to another, uh, especially after so many years of you know working <laughs> maybe in a different uh, direction. Maybe it needs also this this pivotal moment in order to uh, to really be accelerated. Um, but what are your thoughts? What would you be? What would be your dream scenario looking forward uh, when you said like, okay, now job done. <laughs> we can <laughs> we can move on and uh, and support another cause. Yeah, job done. And then will you hire me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's looking for work. <laughs> um, yeah, Carla, did you want to approach uh, that? <laughs> no, I was just going to uh, make the joke that you make, which is. Um, you know, bring us out of business <laughs> um, or bring these different you know, diversity advocacy groups out of business is, is the ideal scenario. But um, I think there are some some steps that uh, everyone in, within the games industry ecosystem can can take. So if you're at a studio um, that has the resources to invest in DNI initiatives, um, one of the things that uh, I think is, is crucial is, is really having 
people that are dedicated to it as their full-time roles. Like we've, we've seen more large studios now have heads of diversity and inclusion. And that really has made some waves because if not, then everybody's sort of doing that as their side hustle. And the, while that makes an impact, it, it's not necessarily always scalable or it's just, you know, everybody's also doing their, their full-time jobs in addition to that. Um, so that, that's, that's definitely one step. And then of course the investment ecosystem, I think, hopefully we can see more investors paying attention to um, diverse developers. And there is a business case behind it, right? Um, there are tons of studies and research now that, that support the correlation between um, diversity within your studio and the you know, impact to revenue that that can make. Um, there, Newzoo published a study last year which showed that um, you know, the majority of players in the UK and the US, for example, actually do want to see publishers and developers take stance on societal issues. Um, and this is something that maybe you know some people might have a backlash against, but um, increasingly people are caring about social justice and, um, and different uh, social issues. And so just being able to be uh, more attentive and, and listening and then actually uh, trying to just educate um, and as as Har was mentioning early, like earlier, allyship is is super critical because that will raise awareness about the importance of all of this and hopefully affect the change. Yeah, and just as a note to that, I think you know if you if you want to do it from a completely funding kind of stance, I think there was a McKinley report. I'm going to completely butcher this, but that says like your long term revenue is going to increase by something like thirty percent if you hire a diverse workforce. So if you want to affect your bottom line, there's there's your answer, you know. Um, and one thing that I like to say to a lot of uh, studios that we advise is be aware of your invisible bias, your unconscious bias. Look at who you're hiring and why aren't there any people or take a look around and look at the, the visible uh, minorities that you have. And is there, you know, do you have that diversity at your senior senior level? If not, what are you going to do about it? It's right. really, really easy. And as game developers, we all know how to do this. If your engine isn't working for the game that you want to build, you get a different engine or you build a tool or you refactor the code. That's kind of all we're doing. <laughs> you know, Build the systems to work for solving this problem to affect that change. Um, it's yeah, easy. And, 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 and... <laughs> It's, unfortunately, yeah, well, I agree with you, but unfortunately, sometimes in reality, it seems like it's apparently not that easy uh, to, to to change. I, I saw personally a lot of movement in the industry in, in regards to diversity and inclusion over the, the past couple of years, unfortunately triggered by, you know, some not so nice topics like, you know, uh, harassment in uh, in our industry and, uh, you know, a certain level of toxicity and, and so on. But uh, overall, you know, my point of view is on this is that uh, it, the change needs to come or needs to be driven driven by people that might not be part of those minorities uh, but but are in the position to to really uh, support it and this is what I've seen talking to many here on the Defcon podcast and also to to many friends in the industry this is where I sometimes have the feeling you know uh, until everybody understands that the, what the difference this makes and, and to your point Tara the the, the long-term potential um, and ultimately also in, in terms of commercial uh, viability, commercial success, then uh, it's, it's going to be a rocky road. So I think people have to, uh, have to listen to organizations like, like yours and uh, to, um, you know, 
to why this matters so much and then embrace it and uh, and really become ambassadors themselves. I mean, um, for, for what it's worth, I try to do my best from, from within my role, but uh, I think it is absolutely necessary that more and more in our industry, um, the, the white cis males are <laughs> actually the ones that uh, need to uh, carry your message as well and believe in it. Absolutely. We really, yeah, it is much appreciated when that is happening. Yeah. <laughs> I, th I think it's necessary that, that it does, yeah. So, uh, Tara and Carla, I want to thank you so much for uh, giving us uh, an insight into what you do at CodeCoven and, uh, you know, how you support marginalized developers. Uh, I, I think it is such an important organization that you've built, and uh, I look forward to uh, seeing your journey going forward and uh, hearing more about the, the different stories that um, people that are part of your programs write and how they become uh, part of our game development community. Uh, it's, it's super exciting to see that, and I wish you all the best uh, going forward, and uh, I hope uh, we can support this with DEFCOM as well. Thank so thanks again Thank so, you much. so much. Thank you for listening to the DEFCOM Games Industry Podcast, presented by DEFCOM.global, produced by Sven Vossing, executive producer Stefan Reichart, music by WeLoveIndies.com, supported by Buyer Dynamic high-quality headphones, microphones, and conference systems for professional musicians and gamers, made in Germany.